0: Greetings and welcome back to episode number 86 of the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Today, we're chatting with Anne-Marie Rose. Anne-Marie is an online business strategist and quiz funnel expert with nearly a decade of experience helping business owners leveraging their zone of genius and reaching the right audience. We talk a lot about building out your service offerings, overcoming imposter syndrome, burnout, uh, scaling your business. And she really has a lot of experience helping entrepreneurs get to those different phases and those different levels. And we have a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoy.
1: Kiss my Getting entrepreneurship.
0: You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build brag-worthy brands through visual identity, design, and social media. You're in the right spot for branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice, so enjoy the episode. Greetings, and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. After many technical difficulties, we are here. Welcome to the podcast, Anne-Marie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited to chat. You and I have actually known each other and of each other for a while because we're both in San Diego um, and are a part of the same networking groups, but for anyone who doesn't know you yet, can you explain who you are, what you do, and who you
1: help? Absolutely. Yep. I'm Anne-Marie Rose. I'm an online business strategist. So my team and I specialize in helping coaches, consultants, and service providers to really streamline and align their business model with who they are, the vision they have for their business, and the revenue goals that they have, and to clarify their brand message, and of course streamline out their marketing so that they're not on that never-ending hamster wheel of trying to keep up with all of the things day in and day out. So we really are all about helping people do business in a way that's really right for them and tailored to how they're hardwired for success. Oh,
0: we're going to get into that for sure, because I feel like this is such a good reminder kind of episode for all these creatives that listen to this podcast, right? About kind of getting yourself back to center and getting yourself to building a business that's sustainable so you can do the creative things you're good at, um, Totally. Which you're definitely an expert in. But take us back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about how you got started in this field.
1: Yeah, well, my first business was really when I was 19, and it was in health and health and fitness space, but still online kind of coaching. I was teaching. I was teaching a lot of fitness classes, certified in a number of different things, and I was dabbling in that and realized that I, I quickly realized I was more obsessed with the craft of building businesses than getting fit and healthy. Well, that's still very important, and wellness is very important. My obsession quickly became with the craft of building businesses, and. So, I kind of refined what I was focused on in, in both college and in some of my professional aspirations and kind of focused in on content marketing very quickly. Worked at a mid sized agency, working with some pretty big brands in social media right out of the gates when I uh, got out of college and realized that a lot of these big brands, you know, the agencies were just not so much strategic partners as they were the implementers of whatever strategy that the big brands wanted to do, even if. We knew as a subject matter experts that those strategies weren't likely to be super successful. Mm. So <laughs> that very quickly uh, worked against how I'm hardwired for success, which is to get to like the bottom line, what's gonna be the most effective route to the goal. And so I sort of marry initially married my my two interests and areas of expertise, if you will, by helping some fitness-based businesses to grow their businesses with content marketing. That's how I Got started on my own and started working full time for myself. And through that, again, that evolution, I realized that a lot of these business owners were building businesses that actually felt like prisons to them. So mm-hmm. they're doing all this content because they felt like they should or they needed to, or someone told them they needed to. but without really considering the direction they wanted their business to go, how they wanted their life to look in a, line, you know alongside of that. And so I realized, okay, I need to help people. Established business owners who want to go to that next level in their business, but we need to do it with uh, with intention, with mm-hmm. strategic intention, with vision, and really operate. I, I can sort of operate as that CEO brain alongside them in where when they're in that growth phase uh, into the next season of success in their business. Totally. And and I think that branding obviously goes hand in hand with
0: what what you're doing here, because so much of the content marketing and marketing in general is about positioning and understanding your client. And we're definitely going to like deep dive into a lot of that. But one question that I can hear already from someone who might be listening is like, okay, but I know my business, but I don't know how to reach my client. Like there's mm. this kind of distance between, and I think the more advanced you get in your own business, you're almost too close to it. Where I can envision someone like yourself coming in to be that like CEO parallel to the business owner helps because you can kind of see what they can't see. Is that pretty consistent with the clients you work with?
1: It is, and so many of the clients I work with are at a point where they've maybe created a a nice creative business for themselves where they are making close to a hundred thousand. And not everybody comes to me at that point, but. A lot of them, and but it, it feels like a job, right? There's not the vision of, oh, they, they can't really see how they're gonna go from this nice, um, you know, six figure business they built for themselves, which is paying them, you know, a $50,000 salary a year. And, you know, they're serving clients that they like, but they can't see the vision for free, like, can't see the path to f- true freedom through that. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> what I find them spiraling a bit about is thinking they just need to reach more and more and more people. When in reality, that next phase of success in their business may mean reaching a new audience, a different audience, refining their business model as a whole. Oftentimes it does. So yes, I find that they come to me with the question of the, – the biggest question is how do I reach more people to get more clients so that I can have that revenue that is then going to allow me to breathe a little bit. And But if we don't address the business model and the ultimate client they're serving – it's likely going to be more of the same unless their goal of course as you know is to scale an agency model which is right. which is another route but then we got to talk team and infrastructure and all of that
0: right and most creatives i think underestimate the amount of management and administrative work that comes along with that kind of pivot. And I learned that like the hard way, right? So 2020 and 2021, I was like, well, if everyone's locked up in their house, I'm going to scale, like, let's grow. Let's it's go time, put gas in the tank. I've got so all the time in the world and access to the internet, like, let's do this thing. So I really focused on building my team. And the more I built my team, the more I felt distant from the actual creative work product. And I kind of, panicked and like had to rescramble everything. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I need to still have something that's just mine though. And for me, that's like the logo design and the branding. And then all the supporting work around that, the social, the merch, the print design, the everything, that's what I lean on, lean on my team for. Um, but it took a lot of trial and
1: error to get there. Totally. Totally. It reminds me of how, you know, in the corporate world, they oftentimes promote like the person who's the best at the doing of the doing. But, and then, and then that that person's now in a management role. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine who got promoted in a tech world and was like, but I love the development work. I love the right. building of the product. And so I went to my company and said, Can I can I pull? Can we pull back here? Can we shift my role? Because I, I miss the doing of the doing. So it's again knowing how you're what lights you up about the work that you do, how you're hard- hardwired for success. I knew very early on that an agency model was at least not going to be a right for, fit for us in this season because me building an agency model, the management, the administrative work, those are not my strong suits. For, fortunately, my business partner is my husband and he's a little bit better with definitely the management side of things. But we just knew the first business model that we built together wasn't going to be a right fit for it to be a bit, an agency model because I'm I'm the one driving the ship and those are not my strong suits.
0: Yeah. And there's there's a lot of exciting things that come along with being more of an agency then there's a lot of like we said like not so fun things um but can you maybe walk us through someone who's who you've worked with like a client experience that you've helped someone get through some kind of roadblock um because obviously i am curious about the creative side but even maybe somebody not in a creative business or who's more in the coaching space or some of the other industries that you work with can you kind of walk us through like here was their struggle here was what we worked on and then here was the solution
1: Definitely. Well, and, and a couple of different things come to mind because, you know, there's the start to finish, the A to Z transformation. And of then course. there's what I don't know, I love. And that's the making the messy middle feel better and mm, less messy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, the the start to finish transformation, One one client that comes to mind who came to me, roughly at the start of or not the start middle of 2020 when they, they had an in-person therapy practice they'd been dabbling in this online coaching world and they spe- their specialty was relationship couples couples counseling and you know they said we have this course we really want to reach a bigger market there's some nuances with what's ethical and what's not in terms of, you know, providing therapy at a larger scale. So we want to really focus in on the, the relationship coaching model and take this take this bigger, right? But they didn't have a business built around it at all. They just had a course, that they, a course and a workshop that they would offer it as a supplement to their therapy clients, right? So we established the whole brand from start to finish, and they had a super lean team. I mean, they had some associate therapists, but not a massive team of you know, social media and ads managers and all these different people to to move the online business focus forward. So with their existing team that they had, we really got creative and launched an entirely new brand in about, what was it? Maybe about three months or so and got okay. that rolling for them. Um, of course, bringing in other brand designers and things like that, because that's, we don't do the done for you, but I could support as that mm-hmm. um, other CEO brain saying, let's do this first. This is going to be the most cost-effective route because of course, you know, they had their, their one business and they'd been doing some, some online therapy stuff, but they ultimately saw this as the path to true freedom where it wasn't so much the trading time for dollars. And that whole business model got, got completely launched with multiple products in and running, like a machine in less than a year, but the whole brand got off the ground the ground in about three months. So those stories are always really fun, where you get to see
0: totally. everything
1: come together, all the different, totally. pro- you know, about three different offers in that business, uh, lead generation strategy working, the the visual everything come together. Those stories are really fun. Yeah, what I I can't say I love even more. But it's really the gratifying thing because we all know entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. So the thing, you know, there's ups and downs through that whole process and it all sounds, the start to finish sounds great. But one story that, that I love is a client of mine, Mia, who came to me saying, my goal is to create some passive income in my business. She's a funnel strategist. And so she helps clients build out their funnels and she does the doing for them. And we said, hold up! Right, right, right out of the gates when we started working together, I said, you don't have any time in your schedule, yeah. and <laughs> you can't, you can't really make the time because right now you're not even earning what you want to be earning. So mm-hmm. Im- immediately, literally within like two weeks, we revamped her offers, uh, just a couple of offers, raised her price points, and in less, I think it was about two months, her revenue in her business doubled, and she was working about half as much. And Love now. That. She's got the time to focus on the passive offer. And not only that, she had some family things come up that she's like, thank goodness I started working with you at the time that I did because I've got the financial cushion to invest in the support that my child needs to, to be more present with him. And so it really, it's been, um, we were just talking last week and it's really cool to see how that one shift has made such a ripple mm-hmm. effect in her business mm-hmm. and in her life. I think it's a really common trap
0: for entrepreneurs to fall into, especially when they're new and especially when they don't have maybe the as robust a portfolio or as clear as an offering is that they want to list out on their website. And I see it all the time. Every single thing that they do at these price points that are all over the place. But it comes across as like cherry pick from this menu client and you figure out client what you're supposed to do instead of positioning the entrepreneurs like, Hey, let me consult you on what I think is your best option. So, how do you walk people through how many offerings they should have? What is the what is your best advice to someone who's got a lot of skills but hasn't really packaged them down into anything digestible? Mm,
1: This is such a good question. One of my favorite things to to talk about is packaging your offers in a way that feels good to you and has your clients, like potential clients lining up to, to purchase. And first and foremost. I like to overarch everything with this, especially if you are a creative service provider. It is a very, there's a very good chance your clients do not know what they do not know. Mm -hmm. So while we can go to a restaurant and I know I do not like olives, so I am not going to choose the olive tapenade as my appetizer. I'm going to choose, I don't know, something else that I love. I don't know that if I'm going to hire a, an SEO service provider or I don't know. I don't know what I like and don't like. I need you to tell me <laughs> what mm-hmm. I need. Mm-hmm. So, I really recommend starting with. Well, there's a, several different things. I have a core offer framework that I walk clients through. That I walk people through during uh, a workshop that I host called "Ace Your Core Offer," and this is great, even if you've got an offer that you love, really taking it, dialing things in. To focus on one main offer, of course, you're gonna have some things on the fringe. And if you're a creative service provider, some add on various things Mm -hmm. that are gonna come up. But really, if you can have one main offer that you're focused on, that you know your ideal client is gonna be well served by, that's gonna make your marketing simpler. It's gonna make the back end of your business simpler and easier. You're gonna have less customers back and forth. If you're putting out proposals, you may not even need to do proposals anymore because you can list out exactly what someone's gonna need. On their website, and you can speak to the problem that your offer is going to solve, the transformation it's gonna create. It's harder to say, you know, what website maintenance is mm-hmm. the transform if that's a one-off thing that you offer. It's harder to say what the transformations that's gonna create. But if that's part of a package, you can say, and when we're done, you're not gonna to have to worry about. Mm -hmm. the checking Mm -hmm. in on your website every single day. So that's what, you know, not a thing that's weighing on your mind, for example, Mm -hmm. but that's part of a package and shows them, oh gosh, they're going to take this website, you know, revamp off my plate and make it amazing. And they're going, I'm not going to have to think about all the updates that are going to come every uh, later on when I want to change this and that. And the other thing, for example, so I have a framework I walk people through, but, but that's really, I, I love, for many of us, it, it makes a lot of sense if we can focus on one main offer, kind of the meat and potatoes of our business, if you will.
0: Yeah. And and I think I saw this shift happen really clearly when I started listing my services on my website in columns from like least investment to most investment. Kind of like when you go search for airline, an airline ticket, or you go to stay at a hotel and you can see like, here's the standard room and here's the double room and here's the penthouse suite and be able to really map it out so that I know that page, like the back of my hand. And when I'm on a discovery call with someone, I can say like, yeah, the difference between column three and column four is that you're going to get X, Y, and Z different. You know, I think there's a lot of websites designed now, and maybe this is just like a designer pet peeve, like user interface experience situation, is that we try to fluff up the service offering so much that you kind of don't know what you're getting. And I think that that causes a lot of audience objections. Do you agree?
1: A hundred million percent. When you have all these, you know, what we're talking about now is features of your offer, right? Mm -hmm. So on your list, you've got 30 different things someone's going to get. And the way you phrased it, it, or you haven't included what the benefit of that is. And even if you do include the benefit, sometimes that's a lot to read and people aren't going to read it. You know, so if you're calling it, I don't know, again, website maintenance, for example, if I'm a brand new business owner, I might be like, why would I need that? What isn't, when Mm -hmm. my website's set up, isn't that something that, I, isn't it good to go? So you have to be discerning about who you're, this is where knowing your ideal client really comes in handy because then you, you can give them just enough so that it speaks to their problem and the solution they're desiring, but not overwhelm them and confuse them and then get a thousand million questions. And uh, I sometimes find this doesn't happen for everybody, but you can get into the nickel and diming thing yes. where people are trying to cherry pick from you, you put a package together, but there's like 30 things underneath. Mm-hmm. And so then you have the client who's like, well, what if we did this package, but you didn't include item four and nine mm-hmm. and 12? And you're like, oh, but you as the expert know those things are essential to everything else working the way that it needs to.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh,
1: simpler is usually better.
0: How do you consult your clients on talking to their clients about avoiding that kind of redlining conversation? <laughs>
1: I do a lot of uh, languaging on my calls, with a little clients. role play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, and I'll just I'll just slip into it, kind of like I've done here, you know, totally. you've got a client the website I mean, it's, it's same type of thing as, or and some of my clients will ask, you know, how how would I go about saying this? But that's sort of a um, communication. I don't know if you're familiar with strength finders, mm-hmm. but communication is literally my top strength. It's got back and forth between communication and activator. So I'm pretty good at knowing how it's going to be received. Depending on, you know, we nail down who their ideal client is. So I can put myself in their shoes and know, have a pretty good idea of the perspective they're going to come in with. And I work with a wide range of different clients. So I've got one client, for example, in the UK who offers contract CFO services. And she also has a course that trains fast growth startup companies to trains members of their financial team to basically become the CFO. So there is a Mm. lot of nuanced language that Mm -hmm. like, I'm not familiar with tech, familiar with like the tech startup world. So I have to do a lot of asking her, okay, how would you say this? What are people really saying when they come to you with this? Okay, let me Mm -hmm. talk to this person. And so I'm asking a lot of those questions to uncover some of that so that we can nail the language that they're using and the, the bullet points they're including in their their packaging even if there's other stuff behind the scenes they may not need to share every single aspect of that upfront because it would overwhelm someone or bring up those objections
0: well and they're coming to you because you're the expert and if you're if you're positioning yourself as an expert and as a strategist and as especially as a creative like if you're positioning yourself as the person with the answers don't make the client do the work You know what I mean? Totally. Like be, be that open door. Share enough information that it's crystal clear. Like I think that's really helpful. But don't don't put yourself in a position where you're making them have to then try to figure out if that's a value, right? It's kind of that weird middle ground of like I want anyone that calls me, whether they're a fit for my project or, or for working with us or not, to feel like they got more clarity because that's also part of it.
1: Absolutely. That's why anytime... I'm working with a client on what their lead magnet should be or what they you know how they're going to attract new clients into their business generate more leads usually if they're going to have some type of content associated with that lead generation strategy I recommend that help people gain clarity and direction that relates to the problem your core offer solves for them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Not, you don't need to solve the problem for them and this isn't always the right fit for every business but for a lot of businesses especially if you find that clients, your ideal client is fits into that I don't know what I don't know category mm-hmm. helping g- providing some type of lead generation content that helps them to gain clarity on what they don't know and gives them some direction on how to move forward not direction on how to fully solve the problem because they're not going to follow through on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but direction on what to do next that can be really really beneficial and help to pre-overcome those objections, the multiple sales conversations, the propo- back right. and forth over the proposals. All right. That. Right.
0: Yeah. It's so nice when somebody comes to your discovery call and they're like, I've seen every page of your website. I've followed you forever. I'm obsessed with your work. I just want to move forward. I just have two questions about these things. And you're like, great, perfect. No problem. That's like 100%. Exactly. Yeah. I think if, if I were to do this for myself, now that we're having this conversation, I think the question I get most often is like, how do I know when it's time to rebrand? Because it's usually someone who's been in business for a while, but they know their current branding isn't working for them. It's not allowing them to show up as confidently as they'd like to. Maybe their audience has shifted or their demographic has shifted. So in your opinion, and the brands that you work with, because I know branding is part of your core offering, or at least giving brand consulting on the strategy part, not maybe necessarily the design stuff, but how do you kind of measure where that person is and whether it's time for them to invest in a rebrand or not?
1: Hmm. This is a great question. And, and you're- is
0: always investing like capital I investing dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Is that always the best move for someone? Because as a brand designer, I'm going to like, I'll, I'll be the first one to say like, not everybody needs to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on their branding. And yep. like, whether that goes against the, my title business or not, like that's just truly
1: what I believe. So I think you're probably in the same boat. Yep. I'm hundred percent with you. And you're right in that we we don't offer branding services like done for you. Right. But I will help a client to identify, okay, when is this time to uh, to really level up the branding here, right? Many of my clients will come to me with either a DIYed version or like a piece of it. Like they got some great photos done, but they never had like logo and colors designed, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like you can get, again, you can get to that service providing $100,000 business model, maybe even $200,000 business model with bare bones. And that's... Mm-hmm. Okay, there's mm-hmm. the biggest thing because we have what I almost refer to as like our phase one clients who've done a lot of different things in business, but they've never officially solidified like the business model they're looking to grow. So that phase one is getting to that hundred dollars to $200,000 mark in revenue. And then I've got our phase two clients who they've been there, done that, and now they're really in scaling mode. Um, but And for our phase one clients, I'm like, let's, let's go simplest route here. I remember on a call with a client... Um, A while back. And I'm pretty intuitive when it comes to the brand design stuff. Like, I know if it looks kind of jank. (laughs) Um, Of course. So, but I never tout myself as a designer, but I remember I was on a call with a client um, and she was working on a quiz lead generation tool for her business and a a workshop. And I was like, I just said, are you in love with your brand colors? Because I I was like, Mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. not great. (laughs) And she was like, no, why? I'm like, you want to change them? And literally in... 10 minutes. I just got on like coolers.com or right. whatever. And we had her a new palette and it was right. good to go. She didn't need the full rebrand. She just needed something that like was co- looked cohesive, that looked good, that looked professional for the audience she was right. trying to attract. But right. a great example, I, I think works best to just explain this in stories. My client, Cindy, who is a consultant in the 911 emergency services space. And she's doing keynote Speaking. Wow. She has, uh, you know, her vision includes a nonprofit foundation. She and her business grew massively. She, we got her out of a, a negative business partnership, solidified some of her services, and she's like super in demand. And now she's really in scaling mode. And we knew that for the because she's becoming known quickly as an expert in her space, getting some of that initial branding work because she didn't really have any. She came out of her business partnership and it was hit the ground running for where she's looking to go with her business, with more keynote talks and a podcast and all these different things, investing in some branding support right out of the mm-hmm. gates to help with, you know, her – to get her logo solidified, get her colors, get a good solid website, get some photos that she feels really good about, investing in that right out of the gates because it was already happening. That's the key, right? Right. right. I, I'm not a fan of – I have this idea, but I don't know what my brand colors would be. Right. Okay. Do the idea. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Do show me the business plan first. Show me the proof of concept first. And then the branding will come from that. And I think oftentimes like I'm the first person to say on a discovery call, if I think someone's too early in the process to be investing in their branding, because the last thing I want to do is have them feel like they've put out, put down all this cash and they haven't gotten the return on their investment. And not because the branding is bad, but because the business model isn't there. Like the work of it isn't there and it's really hard as a designer. It can be really disheartening if you like pour your heart out into a brand and then it just goes like, and like falls off the face of the earth.
1: (laughs) Totally. Totally. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of, you know, the rebrand is when you're in that, like my business is about to go to a new level. My business is already making good, good money. We know who our client is and it's there, it feels like there's a disconnect between how we're, how we're showing up and who we're trying to serve and with a vision that we have when that disconnect is, is really clear because either, you know, I don't know, you're not like people are bouncing quickly from your site or someone said like, their impression of you, you'll start you once you get enough traction too, you start to get that feedback where someone will say, Oh, I I thought you did this. Mm-hmm. Or I thought, um, you know, when I went to your website, I totally thought that you worked with more XYZ mm-hmm. because that was the feeling I got from it. So you you can get some feedback. You can ask feedback for feedback mm-hmm. from people. And if that feedback isn't aligning with what you want, then it might be a good time for a rebrand.
0: Well, and I think that a lot of branding is about kind of curating the feeling of the experience of getting that product or service in your life. So I think about like the, some of the travel bloggers I've worked with and they knew it was time to rebrand because they were getting deals with like Ritz Carlton and Four Seasons and all these amazing resorts. And then they were blogging about these luxury hotels, but then their logo and their colors were like, oh, this looks like a college hobby. Like this doesn't Mm. make, that doesn't put me on the level of working with these partnerships. And I think I need to show up in that capacity. I need to show up at that level to be taken seriously and not only to be taken seriously, but to have it be congruent with the quality of work product, which I think is the other reason why people really want to rebrand is that they know they offer a quality service, but they don't look like they offer a quality service.
1: Totally. And yeah, if you're not design savvy, that's okay. Like, you know, if you were doing, you know, change management consulting, no one's expecting you to be design savvy. And so it's super normal to feel like all your stuff looks a mess. And so making that if you're working with large corporations and wanting and and you want to be known as the go to for for what you do, it's probably time to invest in a rebrand.
0: And it's about consistency, right? It's about consistency of, like, if you continually purchase, for example, I don't know, let's say, like, Nike tennis shoes, right? Like, you know what it's like to have the experience of buying those Nike tennis shoes and wearing those Nike tennis shoes and who you are when you're wearing the Nike tennis shoes. And then if you get a pair that's, like, not good, you're like, oh, what? Like, I don't... I don't enjoy this anymore. <laughs> so it's about matching those things. And I, I think I would also caution people against like definitely rebrand and definitely change up your colors when you feel like you need it and, and your logos and things like that. But also um, I think some people get like design indecision and they give their audience whiplash, absolute whiplash. And the great analogy I heard for this was actually, I believe it was Christo who's uh, his brand is called the future. And he said like, if imagine you're going to school and the kid that you sit next to every day comes in dressed completely differently. Like one day they're emo and the next day they're prep. And the next day they're totally like punk rocker. And then the next day after that, they're super feminine and like dainty. You automatically like start to distrust that individual because they're presenting themselves in such a different way every single time that you can't get a sense of like, okay, but who are you though? And <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what do you do? Because you don't, we're such a visual society and such a visual culture that we need those those visual cues to tell us like, this is what this person is about. Do you agree? Mm,
1: 100%. And we have to be able to separate ourselves as yeah. the human from the business. The business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's especially hard when you're a personal brand, but just because you're into, you know, Boho flowy stuff one day and a little more buttoned up the next, you know, in the next season, that's super normal for right. humans. Right. But I love that you use the example of Nike. Nike's logo, to my knowledge, has not changed since mm-hmm. the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it's been the swoosh. It is mm-hmm. is the swoosh. It probably will continue to be the swoosh. Mm-hmm. Yes, they've changed some elements of things to keep to stay current, But the the logo, those trademark kind of those things that help us to know we're interacting with that brand have remained the same. The orange Mm shoebox, like Mm -hmm. for as long as I can remember, it's been that.
0: And the way that they've been able to change those criteria are because they have a foundation of branding that's become part of the popular culture. Like when you have, you've set that baseline expectation, like if, if the company Apple didn't exist and sprung up tomorrow and you just looked at the logo, you'd be like, oh, cool. Produce stand it does not does not mean computer right and when people list apple as like one of their favorite logos on my intake form i'm like okay we need to have a conversation because like it's as a graphic sure but the only reason we regard them that high as a brand is because of the connotation of that apple to the product like if the product didn't exist the brand the logo does not make the brand right so there is that distance between the two things and i think that's something that that as as a creative, that's my job to educate that client. Right. And I, I feel like you too, like your people are coming to you. They're like, I need help and I want this offering and that offering and passive income and this. And you're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like let's back up the train here, back up the bus. Like let's really talk about what you're attracted to about those very like catchphrazy entrepreneurship things.
1: Oh, totally. And there's, um, you know, I've been talking a lot about this with a lot of my peers and with clients that especially in the online business world, so if we're talking coaching, consulting, service providing, that kind of thing, there's, it's, you can't compare yourself, no, and your brand to the business that started 15 years ago, totally. And what works for the business that started 15 years ago, who didn't have to compete, like they got organic reach on Facebook, that's like not a thing anymore for businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they they went through those seasons and a lot of things, like they started their business before Instagram even existed. You can't say I want to do business like them because they were playing a different game when they were at the stage you were. So you have to like, you know, in the eighties when Apple started, there were only a couple of different brands in the ball game. You know what I mean? It was a, the entire product was a completely new innovation that they were providing. Of course. Of course. Of course. So you can't you have to look at the business as a whole and how the market it's entering Mm -hmm. to be able to make really empowered, you know, to, to inform the branding decisions that you're going to make.
0: Absolutely. And the product lines and the product evolution and then you audit and you get rid of things and you bring other things back and then you drop those off. And it is, it's really, it's really easy to get caught up in like the success of where a company is like right here, right now today and forget that there were, Loads of heartache and heartbreak along the way that
1: probably got them there, right? Totally, yeah. A a lot of the the common like direct to consumer brands that we know we get ads for and that people love, I've been hearing recently like you know some of them have been around for twelve years, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. really? I thought they just started last year. Mm -hmm. No, they just got honestly enough traction Mm -hmm. to be able to have the marketing budget to spend or the funding. A lot of times, it's funding that. So that's the other thing you need to consider is that. How many of these businesses have, you know, funding behind them or started mm-hmm. with funding or have the the resources available to them that maybe you don't have and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm just like comparison pretty much never serves us. It's important to right. be aware of what's out there. But right. saying, you know, I want to get where they are in the way that they did and look like them. Yeah. It's not going to work. <laughs> are the majority of your clients women? Yes they are. Yeah. Same, and, same. Yeah. And I work with most, of my the majority of my clients work with me in a group consulting capacity, which I love. I never expected the importance of community on this journey of taking your business to the next level, but it is wildly powerful. And I'm right. so honored to get to facilitate that. And it functions not in the same way that I think a lot of group programs have come to be structured and there's nothing wrong with it, but it a lot of times it's kind of course plus Q&A. That's not yes. how we operate. Um, it's very much very similar to how I work with my one-to-one clients. It's just that, that consulting tends to happen por- you know, a portion of the time in a group setting. So everybody's getting insights from everybody. Um, and then I right. do have some one-to-one clients that I work with. Usually they have larger teams. And um, so there's moments where I'm saying, oh, let me just get on the call with your you know, ops director or whoever, that kind of situation. And some of those clients are men. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause the majority of my audience is definitely female. I think like 97% of my Instagram audience is female. I would then guess that majority of the listeners of the podcast are female. What are some things that you wish that women in business, you could just flip a light switch and they would just knock it off and not do this anymore. (laughs) Cause I know my personal pet peeves, especially when it comes to how women communicate in a professional capacity that drive me bonkers. But I'm curious if any come to mind for you. And not just flip the light switch and change, but, but to, I think to rephrase that question, I think that women inherently are still afraid of pissing people off. And I think that women are really careful with their language mm-hmm. and they want to be like, if you can get it to me t- today, no worries. If not, like it's very passive instead of direct. Yes. And that's the first thing that drives me nuts. And I'm wondering if there's, there are ways that even you catch yourself, maybe like, rewriting an email or rewording something to a client where you're like, man, I caught myself doing that thing, that trap that I fall into.
1: Mm. The direct communication thing is, is huge. One thing I find that women tend to get nervous about and, and some men do too, but this is, I would say a bigger fear for women is when it comes to increasing their prices or cutting down. So I've A great example of this is if a coach comes to me and they're saying they're doing weekly calls with all their one-to-one clients, I'm like, is that needed to provide the transformation? And oftentimes what comes up in that is it's actually like stressful for both parties because then their clients have somewhere to be every single week and so do they and it cuts their capacity by half. And so, But it's the fear of, oh gosh, how am I going to have this conversation about how I'm changing it? And that's Mm, like (laughs) honestly mm -hmm. one of the things like that's my superpower. I have people come to me for whatever reason when they, want, they need, need to have a hard conversation. I, like, kind of love navigating the nuances Same. of that. Same. Um, so – and we all have our strengths, right, uh, when it comes to those those kind of things. And so it's okay if that's not yours. But I would say the the compromising of the vision to avoid the hard conversations or because you think people won't like you or because you think it's going to make somebody upset – or because your competitor does that. Mm. If you can just mm-hmm. get really crystal clear on what's right and aligned for you, what feels good for you as the CEO of your business, and then factor in those considerations, it's it is important. And that's one of the superpowers women's have a lot of women have is the ability to consider the other parties involved, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a benefit mm-hmm. at times, but mm-hmm. it shouldn't be the the first consideration. Of course. And I think a big part of that is like,
0: I find myself wanting to be so, 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 so direct, but also to say, instead of saying I'm raising my prices, it's saying our prices are increasing. Prices are increasing. It's the prices that are increasing, not me inflicting the increase upon the prices. Like it's yes. that teeny tiny little switch where that's just business talk. That's not, I'm, I'm raising your prices because I've created value for you or because i The other one that I hear a lot recently is well, I have more clients now, and therefore I'm charging you more.
1: No, that's not going (laughs) to feel good to them.
0: No, no, because that literally tells the other person you're now less of a priority at a higher price point. Yep. There's something I've been dying to tell you about, and it's something that I'm keeping on the hush hush. So, like, don't tell everybody, okay? One of the things I notice with our brand design clients is that they go through the brand design process and they get all their new logos, fonts, colors, patterns, icons, everything, and then they're not totally sure how they're supposed to be using them on social media. Enter the one-on-one kiss my assets Canva sprint day. I know that's a mouthful. Stay with me. Basically, this is a three-hour session with me that is part assets, part strategy, part clarity, and low-key Canva training, on how to use all of your brand elements together to make templates that you can then DIY for your biz. So think post templates, stories, graphics, email graphics, anything that you are going to be making on a regular basis on behalf of your business, we can create them together in a three-hour sprint inside your Canva account. You can walk away with those templates right at the end of the session and put them straight to use these can be booked on my website. There are only a limited number of spots per month to book the one-on-one day. And the link that you're going to want to look for is mkwcreative.co slash kiss my assets. That's mkwcreative.co slash kiss, K-I-S-S, my assets, A-S-S-E-T-S, get it? Like social assets, kiss my ass. You know, we're being funny. We're a little cheeky. But the plan here is to really create as much content for you as we possibly can so that you can go out there and DIY your brand in the best brag worthy version of what you envision for your business and really kind of get those clients rolling in. Check that out, book it online. You can book it anytime. There are a limited number of spots per month. So if I were you, I'd get on it sooner rather than later. Back to the episode. And I think when you can, again, like you said, like as a female superpower, the fact that we can put ourselves in the shoes of the other person is great, but again, make it their advantage. And I just had to draft an email like this this week where the client was communicating from all these different modalities. And I was like, listen, like as a reminder, communications guidelines moving forward, what you can expect from us. Here's the long list of everything that our team is working on, what we expect from you. This yeah and tiny but concise right like clear and consolidated feedback timeliness on your responses da 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 and and weighing it optically like visually in the email to look like okay look how much we're doing for you and look how much we're asking that you abide by in return yeah and that's a much easier pill to swallow mm-hmm.
1: positioning it's, have it's, you run into this it's it's a totally a positioning thing right and it's the the first part of it when you're going to make a shift in the business it's okay to do that it's about how you position it and guess what if it's right and aligned for you as a ceo in your business it's ultimately going to be an advantage to your clients and we just have to mm-hmm. figure out how to position that and and do it in a way like i'm all about you know doing things ethically and with integrity so it's not just kind of mm-hmm. BSing our way there but really truly like what is the value in it for them and i can literally always find it so that's one side of it. And then the setting of the expectations, being really clear and direct, people appreciate that. And hey, mm-hmm. listen, just because you're clear and direct doesn't mean it's going to be received the first time. So having those reminders is always a good thing. And having those you know, canned email templates that can get sent out when, when you need to send them out. And knowing yourself too. I don't need to do this, but I have a lot of friends, peers, and even some clients who do this, where they have an autoresponder on their email that's totally. like, hey, I get back to emails in 24 hours, so you may not hear from me, or 48 hours, and here's why. Because we're working behind the scenes to do X, Y, Z to support you in the best way possible. If you are one who you know that every time you see that one next to your emails in your inbox, you are like, I got to respond, I got to respond, I got to respond. That's not me personally, but if that's you, you can implement little things like that that serve you and serve your clients chances are your clients probably don't care if you get back to them the next day, depending on what your business is. If the work quality is great, right? If the work quality is there, if
0: you're slacking and you're not responding to emails because you're like afraid of getting called out on your bullshit, then like, yeah, that's anxiety inducing. Like, of course, course. like if you decided to just F off all weekend or all week and not tell anybody where you were going, that's going to be a problem. But even in all my time traveling for like three years, people be like, Oh, well I'll talk to you when you get back from your trip. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, This is uh, like, this is just my life. Like I'm working. I just might have funky hours or my hours are going to be shifted, but like giving them that heads up, like being clear, like having that clarity, or like you said, setting that vacation responder that says, these are our office hours. This is when you can communicate.
1: And that works for a lot of people. Exactly. I mean, I'm right now 28 weeks. Yeah. 28 weeks pregnant. Yeah. And the way I announced that I was pregnant to my clients was, I know, well, I said, you know, I'm pregnant and here's what this means for you. And
0: yep. literally I had a yep. color-coded
1: calendar with the expectations, even before we had all the details solidified. But I wanted mm-hmm. them, them to know you're gonna be well taken care of. And also, my, you know, something's happening in my life that's important, then that I'm going to, you know, be less available. And mm-hmm. but here's how you're going to be well supported during that time time frame. Here's what you can expect. Here's how the communication channels may shift. Mm-hmm. I I had that was one of the first things I decided. And just being clear and upfront, and clear and upfront as various additional details have been solidified, we've sent update emails. We're totally this week. One of my things to do is review um, an email that we're going to send. It's sort of all encompassing with like, get ready. Here's you know, here's all the goodness you're going to get. while and Mariz on maternity leave and the specifics mm-hmm. associated with that. Even though they've heard it, it's several clients who've been with me since March. Have heard mm-hmm. some variation of this multiple times, but re-communicating and recommunicating so that they feel really taken care of. Expectations mm-hmm. create confidence. Totally, they create confidence,
0: and it creates an opportunity for that person to like treat you like a person. Totally, I think that's the best thing about working for yourself and being an entrepreneur. Like in this day and age, is that work and lifestyle they can be as intermixed or as separate as you want. But if you are, if you're that person that likes sharing and likes bringing your audience in and likes updating them on these major life events, right? Like, or you're going on a trip or you're going back to grad school or you're going, you're having a baby, you're having a wedding, like being able to be, personable about that, because those are things that that person probably also experiences. So to be, to let them in on that and again, get your jobs done. Once your jobs are done and you can over deliver on the expectations, then you've got like, you got people for life. If you can be so clear on the scope of work and then over deliver, even when they think you're going to peace out, like that's like, that's like one of my favorite things to do.
1: Oh, so true. Like that's that's essentially what we've done with my maternity leave, right. and most of my clients, like we already discussed, are women, and many of them are moms. And so they're, mm-hmm. and this is my first child. So many of them are saying, "Oh, you know, if in September I'm doing October, if in September mm-hmm. you need to take a little extra time off or what, like it's all good. Of you of want course. to superior lead this? They're like uh, over the moon and supportive and." We're also bonusing that that like time when I'm actually on maternity leave, even though they're they're gonna have guest people supporting them. My team's still gonna be around. We have a number of things where they're not going to have a lapse in support during that time. I'm just gonna be away from it. They're also getting right. bonus additional time to their their term with me. So it's literally just like icing on the cake. And so it's totally. been really fun to just create that experience for them. And yeah, for them to, you can see that like they're really. I've been surprised and delighted by the whole thing, so.
0: Well, and it's nice to be at a point in your business where you're, like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, where you're making the kind of money you want to make and then those, that's the fun part is like giving them the icing on the cake. Yeah. Like I just did that all weekend because I had this like really clear vision of what I wanted to do for this merch for San Diego Open, which is a tennis tournament coming to San Diego. And like merchandise design was not part of the scope of work. Like it was more me being... I have a really clear vision for this and whether it comes to fruition or not, I kind of want to just see if I can do it the way that I'm thinking of it. And it created some like really great conversation on social. And if that's all that it exists for, that's kind of fine. And so now we're trying to figure out I'm working with Catherine Lomandry and we're trying to figure out like, okay, how do we want to share with this client that we made all this stuff? Right. Because it technically was outside the scope of work and there are other things that are higher priority. So it's kind of like making sure we've got all of our ducks in a row first and then hit them with the, by the way, while you weren't looking, this is what we did. So cool. <laughs> Which is going to, is going to be so fun because I think it's really going to kind of solidify again, like what our creative vision is in a way that, Went above and beyond, but we've got to make sure that we're prioritizing that correctly, right? Because you know changes are coming a mile a minute. That just happens with event branding. You know, you to take on a new sponsor, you got to switch out photos, you got to change t- dates, times, all those things. So like covering those bases first, and then like adding that extra fun stuff on top.
1: Yeah, exactly. Making sure that the bases are covered. Like you're delivering on what you said you were going to deliver on, and then once you've got that covered, like when you get inspired, lean into it.
0: Totally. Totally. I wanna leave with one really good question. Actually, we have a few more questions left, but I knew we were gonna end up talking for for a good long time. (laughs) Um, The question that I consistently get on social media from creatives is that burnout to imposter syndrome, rabbit holes, hamster wheel, downward spiral, right? And that one kind of begets the next, right? Like we start feeling imposter syndrome and then imposter syndrome is leading to burnout and then burnout again leads to imposter syndrome and then the whole cycle continues how do you counsel people through that?
1: This is a big one. So I think first, like what I'm hearing in that is, or what I've seen play out, especially with those of us who consider ourselves action takers is when we can get that hint of imposter syndrome. And this most often shows up when you're in a moment of leveling up. So if you're in the beginner stages, it's pretty much constant. (laughs) Um, Just that feeling of, well, you know, This is a gap that needs to get filled, and in the practice, there are practical things that can beget that imposter syndrome. But we have to keep those in check. So if you're in the beginning phases, this can show up a lot and can spiral quickly. Once you're you've been moving and grooving, and you've got some really clear proof that you you got your ducks in a row, business is is good to go. Then it tends to show up when you're in that next phase of up leveling. It's the scaling, the growth, the refining your offers, the raising your prices. Whenever you're about to hit a new, the growing the team it tends to show up again and again. And if you tend to be more of an action taker, uh, the doer type of person who combats uncomfortable feelings with more items on the to-do list, fast path to burnout. Mm -hmm. Fast Mm -hmm. path to burnout because burnout shows up when your output doesn't match the input. So if you're doing, 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 doing more, oftentimes we're not being strategic and intentional about what's getting done. We just think we're going to do more and that's going to make us more worthy of this next level that we're desiring. And we're not thinking about, yeah, but is that actually the right thing? Is that the thing that feels good to me? Right. And just because you have you're on 10 new social media platforms doesn't mean that you're going to get 10 times the clients. And that's when burnout starts to happen. So it's still, it's oftentimes those next levels are about doing less, about getting even more focused, even more refined rather than doing more. But Mm -hmm. for those of us who are hardwired to sort of do more to have more, that's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a challenge. And it's something that awareness can help some really it, depending mm-hmm. on how deep it runs, it's maybe a therapy thing or a, a mindset expert thing. That's something I invested in in 2020 was really expert level mindset support, and it changed the game for me. And I'm pretty quick to identify with my clients when you know I can get you some evidence that can help you to move past this. But ultimately, the, I think this runs a little deeper than what I would recommend you. Lean on a business strategist for.
0: <laughs> right. What were your main takeaways from that mindset kind of training that you're talking
1: about? i'm I'm curious about this. Um, that the same stuff starts to show up each time we were're going like, basically, what it boils down is to is new level, new devil. <laughs> So, and and really, I think almost a better way to say is new level, same devil. It's the same thing that shows up again and again. And if you're familiar with the Enneagram, a lot of times that can just call it out in the face, like it'll identify the devil for you. So for me, I'm an Enneagram eight. So my thing is control. A lot of times this shows up in the form of me stressing about the number of systems we have in place to support whatever Mm. next level of Mm -hmm. growth. Um, How many team members we have, because I know my own limitations really well and I'm pretty, pretty self-aware. So, you know, if I wasn't quite as self-aware, maybe I would actually be like me physically trying to control things, but it's more about me fixating on the external things that are going to keep everything, all the ducks in a row when that next level of growth happens. And I can, I can spot that. I can see that quickly. And it is a a care for me personally, it's a careful dance between how do we feel supportive enough to step into this new level and mm-hmm. also to, you know, could because oftentimes that's impacting other people, you know, I don't want to invite people into, into a straight up shit show, which a lot of business owners do. They'll like throw a throw some spaghetti yeah. at the wall. Throwing They're like, come on in, there. and then you know, they sell something for 15 grand and it's like there's nothing behind the scenes. Chaotic. That's ridiculous. Right. I don't ever yeah, recommend no, doing that. That scares me too. I, I hate that. So so be feel supportive enough. Get Put enough uh, – just enough of the pieces in place so that you know you can deliver on what your – you know, whatever that next right. level is. But you don't have to have it all figured out. So that's right. my,
0: my journey. Like It's like space and grace. It's like I need to leave enough space for myself to, like, create a margin because you don't know what you don't know. And then I have to give myself grace if that space does like – if it doesn't go according to plan, because I'm like you, I'm very like, I like having control. I like seeing everything happening at once. I think, I believe I'm an Enneagram one, the last time I took it. So I don't know how much you know about all that. But, um, but I know that my thing is if I task somebody with something and it doesn't turn out to my, what I perceive to be my quality of work, then I'm like, screw it. I'll just do it myself. Totally. Like, screw it, I'll do it myself. Like, it's okay. Like I, that's okay. You did the best that you could, but I, I couldn't fully materialize or communicate what I was looking for. And I don't know if I keep, if I keep communicating, I don't know that we're going to get any closer to like the vision that I, I see it so clearly of what I want, mm. but it's so, it's that breakdown in delegation that can be, that's chewy for me. That's like, yeah, like, and do I just let it go? Like, is it close enough that it works? And in most cases it is. And I've really kind of been able to like release a little bit of that control, like loosen up the reins. Um, but there are some things where I'm like, dang it. Like, nope, I'm just going to screw it. Like, it's okay. Like, I don't need a team. I'm just going to do it myself. Like credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a tricky situation to be in too.
1: Yeah. And it, for Enneagram Ones, it's a lot about that standard that you've set. Mm-hmm. Like the standards that you have that maybe nobody else has. And oh, a thousand. Yeah, a
0: thousand. But it's also how I've been able to do this business for the last eight years. If I didn't have a standard for myself and my quality of work, I don't know that I would be where I am. So there's, there's something to be said for that too.
1: But yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Incommunicable standard. <laughs> exactly. And like it's why – for me, as the editor Mate who wants things to feel in control, it's why my clients come in, and I've never had a client say like I felt like this was a total mess and things were disorganized, and right. I went out. It, they always, it's always I felt more supported than I have in every, any other type of business support right. container I've ever been in. Right, because that's what it's a strength of mine. It's, it's also the thing that can get in my way. You know, so it's mm-hmm. being really aware of that, and just like you were saying. Release really testing out. Can I release a little bit of this? What would happen yeah. if I release a little bit of this? And you have, you know, trusting your intuition as well to, to say totally. like, this is, this is the thing that actually sets me apart as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to lean on it to a healthy degree and I'm going to mm-hmm. test myself with letting go when I think it might be when it's actually causing more frustration or delays or, um, holding me back. Totally, totally. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. And so it's so
0: interesting when you dive into a lot of that Enneagram stuff because I feel like then you start to apply it to other areas of your life. Like, okay, this makes sense. Oh. Like this is clicking, <laughs> right? Even like I'm like as I was saying that I was like,
1: wait a second. Did I just have a breakthrough? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, without questions. <laughs> like is it's that you- what we're dealing with? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's useful in
1: being knowing yourself, knowing how you're hardwired to show up as your best, knowing and by the way, that can that also indicates how you're likely to show up at your as your worst. <laughs> And being aware (laughs) aware of that, it definitely just helps you to just show up in business and life
0: with a greater sense of clarity. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, so much good stuff. Okay, kind of rapid fire questions to wrap it up. Um, If you could describe to someone what makes your brand brag worthy, your brand how would
1: you describe it are you asking about the visual or a, a, the actual like essence of the brand
0: just your brand your the the people that work with you the results that they garner the way that they feel what
1: is that bragworthy factor support deep Ooh, level support and we don't skimp on it uh, we will skimp on the flashy marketing sometimes like sometimes that costs us but uh-huh. ultimately my clients will not feel like we prioritize You're not left out to see never You're right there
0: in the boat with them. Love that. Um, What's one thing you do particularly well and what's something you'd like to be better at?
1: Something I do really well is have hard conversations when they need to and help others Mm. have hard conversations and do that in a way that feels good and feels empowering, not – I mean, sure, you might have that lump in your throat the first couple times you you go to do it, but Mm -hmm. ultimately you feel empowered walking – everybody, all parties feel empowered walking away. Um, Something I'd like to be better at is – Helping people to manage their own stuff. When this is a very specific thing because I'm, um, okay. I'm business partners Going with, right now. Huh? I'm business partners with my right. husband, and this also shows up with many of my clients. Who, again, I'm bringing in another personality framework. If you know the Myers Briggs, there's the last letter, and you're either a P or a J, right? I'm a J, mm-hmm. but I work with lots of Lots of P's. I work with lots of P's. My husband is a P, and P's thrive in. In the moment, in the showing, figuring out what needs to happen right now, but not always the the game plan for, for the what. Road. Yeah, exactly. But there's still things that need to get done, and there's still things that need to um, need to be thought of. You know, some forward thinking needs to happen, right? So this is one example of advising on right fit strategies for. Those types of scenarios when someone's brain works very differently than mine, they still need to do something that I figured out how to do, but they need to go, they need to do it in a way that, right. that is different than how I do it. I'm good at right. that in some areas. There's some, uh, I'm, I'm, that's something that's a constant work in progress for me because, yeah, I, it's what lights me up is figuring out.
0: Well, because, because I think for if you are the like, I'm ENFJ, like if you are that person that is that you're playing that long game and you see the long term vision. It's crazy to you that it's not obvious to the other person. Yes. (laughs) You're like, well, duh, you would do this, 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 this. And then you would do this. And then once you have that done, you would do this over here. And like, it's so clear. And I had this conversation actually with a friend of mine where it's like, to me, if I'm looking at like a table of playing cards, like all the cards are in order. Because that's just how my brain works, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like, oh, well, this and then this and then this. And then we're going to incrementally or by color or by suit or whatever. Like, my, my brain just kind of goes there. Whereas I think for someone else who's kind of living more in the moment, they're that, that P personality type they're just seeing a huge table of cards.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so- <laughs> They're just like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with all of these. And it's like, well, duh. Like, Yeah, so I'm like, it, how do I craft that, help them craft a support system that, because sometimes that pile of cards could be overwhelming to them and we don't want them to feel overwhelmed, but mm-hmm. the way they're gonna navigate organizing it looks different than me. And I just have to say totally. it's funny because if any of my, my clients heard this, they'd be like, wait a minute, Amory, you're actually, that's like the thing we love about working with you is that you're able to tailor- our approach to how we're hardwired. And it's, this shows up all the time on clients. My most organized clients are the ones that get on every call and say, I feel really disorganized. So it's like you kind of, it's the thing you're really good at that you're like, you always want to be improving. (laughs)
0: It's your greatest strength is your Achilles heel. Yes. That's the that's the bit of it. No, I totally, totally resonate with that. Well, this was lovely. Oh, my goodness. Can um, you let us know where we can find you, follow you, work with you,
1: connect, all of that good stuff? Yes. So if I'll just say that if you are in a place of wanting to make a shift in your business, whether that's you're at that phase where you're looking to scale and create more freedom and really take your business into that big time next level and you're not really sure what, what to focus on next or you're getting things off the ground and also you're not sure what to prioritize first, I would highly recommend that anyone listening take the business breakthrough quiz, which does help you to sort of not roll into burnout, to get super focused. So that's bizbreakthroughquiz.com. And that will just help you to understand what what area of your business to prioritize given what you're looking to do and where you are right now. But as far as connecting, I'm on Instagram the most probably. I'm Rose, so A-S-K in front of my name. I'm asking Marie Rose most places. Um, Instagram is definitely the place, like I said, where I'm most present and super active in my DMs. And my website is andrewrose.com.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was such a good conversation as usual, and and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. <laughs> The Kiss My Aesthetics book group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to nkwcreativeco slash kmapod. We'll catch you next time.